Well, so we just sang the, uh, the last verse of that song, uh, Holy Jesus every day, keep us in the narrow way, and when earthly things are past, bring our ransomed souls at last, where they need no star to guide, where no clouds thy glory hide. Part of what we're doing as we come together for a Christmas Eve service is, is orienting ourselves toward the glories of Jesus Christ. Uh, the one who's come is the one who will come again. And our deepest longing is to one day see Jesus face to face. The great promise that we look forward to is the fact that we will, in fact, be in the presence of our Savior forever. Uh, but until that day, we come to the scriptures uh, because through the scriptures, Christ Jesus is revealed to us. And so what we're going to do now is we're going to take just a few moments and spend some time uh, considering the glories of Jesus Christ from Isaiah chapter 9. Uh, we've just been reading in Luke's gospel about the birth of Christ, but all the way back in Isaiah chapter 9, all those hundreds of years earlier, the Lord spoke through the prophet Isaiah and gave us a glorious description of Jesus. Uh, Isaiah tells us that this son who will be born will be the wonderful counselor Mighty God, Eternal Father, and Prince of Peace. And so what we'd like to do this evening is just consider for a moment these glories of Christ. We want to think about these weighty and extraordinary truths about Jesus' identity as we celebrate His birth this evening. And, and so we'll begin, just as the prophet Isaiah helps us, considering first of all that this Jesus who's come, He is this promised wonderful counselor. He's the wonderful counselor. Um, now, now, at first, when we hear the descriptor maybe of wonderful counselor, it can almost sound a little sentimental, maybe. It almost sounds something like this means Jesus is just a really, really special advice giver to us. Uh, it almost sounds something like uh, Jesus might be there just to say the right thing at the right time. He's this wonderful counselor. The descriptor there uh, might sound almost like a, a passing and even trite sort of compliment. Uh, but actually this title, it means something much bigger than that. In a, in a case like this, when the specific Hebrew word that's used here is used to describe God, that word wonderful, and we know Jesus is God, he'll be described next as the mighty God. So when this word translated as wonderful is used to describe God, it implies activity that is connected to the all-knowingness of God and the almightiness of God. So wonderful speaks to God's comprehensive knowledge and it speaks to his infinite power. Uh, so we could translate this as something like wonder inducing. As, as we consider what's here, there's this awe that's attached to uh, knowing something about this uh, God who has total knowledge and total power at his disposal. So it's not just that Jesus as our wonderful counselor is the, is the really helpful advice giver here. But instead, Jesus, as the, as the wonder-inspiring counselor, he's this one who brings directives and instruction and wisdom to us, which reflect his inexhaustible knowledge, and at the same time, they're underpinned by his own limitless power, uh, which is so amazing when compared with the counsel that we're so often used to receiving. Uh, we receive counsel, we receive advice, we receive direction, we read it, we, we even have these kinds of things marketed to us. There's so many opinions around, so much promised words of wisdom. And, and while some of it is, is helpful, no doubt, there's something unique about the counsel of Jesus in that there's something entirely unique about the word of Christ as it comes to us. Because his counsel, uh, as it comes to us through his word, it isn't based on things uh, that so much human counsel is based on. 
When we give counsel, we give counsel based on you know, maybe suppositions or limits of, of cultural analysis. But, but Jesus is truth. It comes to us from this place of entire knowledge. There's no finiteness. There's no selfish, selfish agenda in the truth that he presents to us. There's no misunderstandings even of our true situation. Now, don't we find that oftentimes when we're seeking counsel? If this person could just really understand the significance of what I'm dealing with, then they could give me the words of help and hope that I need. Uh, but when we find the word of Christ coming to us, his word comes to us with complete and total limitless perfection, both in knowledge and in power. It's a word that's powerful enough to calm the storm on the sea. We remember the story. It's a word that's powerful enough uh, that, that death loosens its grip on a young child as Jesus speaks, get up in Luke chapter 7 and the child rises. Jesus is our wonderful counselor, not only in the fact that his words reflect inexhaustible knowledge, but they reflect absolute supreme and effective power. Which means that as we consider the birth of Christ, the fact that he's come to extend his care and compassion to us, he's the one who has words that are potent enough to sustain us when we're worn down. He's the one who has the words that can truly comfort us when we're hopeless. He's the one who has the word that truly restores us when we're wandering. Jesus' word is the word that gathers us in when we're lost. That's why he can be described as the word of life. Even tonight, the same word that calmed the storm calls out to us and says, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Jesus is our wonderful counselor. So this Christmas, we can, we can consider that truth and we can ask ourselves the question, who are we listening to? Who's the strongest voice in our life? Is it the word of Christ? Because his is the powerful word. His is the sustaining word. It's the word that's full of perfect wisdom. And then next, Isaiah goes on to say that this baby born, he's not just the one who will come as the wonderful counselor, but he actually comes as mighty God himself, which, of course, is a huge thing for the prophet to say. Isaiah says uh, that this promised child who comes will be, in fact, God himself. It's a glimpse into the fact that God the Son is going to leave the glories of heaven and humble himself to enter into the experience of our humanity. And what does this mean for us? Well, well, it means everything. It means that the God who made us isn't determined to remain separated from us, but instead he willingly enters into the experience of our humanity. It means that the true and living God is willing to humble himself to come down from heavenly glories, glories that our, our own finite minds could never fully comprehend. He leaves those glories of heaven, humbling himself, entering our experience of need and darkness in order to solidify true hope for us. In fact, in this section in Isaiah, the prophet's spoken about the people who are so far from God in his own context. And, he, and he's described them as people without a dawn. Without a dawn. Isn't that a, a dismal description? These are people without a sunrise. What a, what a bleak condition. What a low place. Uh, but, but it's these people that, that are in, in this condition because they've, they've been hoping in Isaiah, they've been hoping in false gods, things that would really bring them hope, things that would really bring them uh, the sustaining longings that they have. They're looking for hope in all of these different places. And Isaiah says, in that reality, they're simply people without a sunrise in their life. They're people without light. They're without a dawn. And that is our human experience uh, just in its totality. As Isaiah makes clear, left to ourselves, we are in darkness. Not because God is the one who's distanced himself from us, but because we've turned our backs on God. 
So we're without dawn, we're without light, all false hope and false gods which never satisfy. And I wonder if maybe you felt that in seasons of your own life, that that true and pressing experience of, of darkness seeming like it's all around, and not least of all because of our willingness to, to, to go after those things that are unworthy of our ultimate trust and affection. Uh, so there, there are those situations we find ourselves in because we've thought that hope could be found in material things. Or maybe hope will be found ultimately in social acceptance. Or maybe hope will be found in, in just the right partner. Or, or life can be found in a career change that comes at just the right time or brings just the right amount of extra money. But we know from experience when we're looking for ultimate light in those things, there's no dawn. Not, none of those things ultimately bring us to a place of rest. But the mighty God comes, the true God. And then Isaiah speaks in this chapter about how this child, he'll come and he won't just come, but he'll actually be our dawn. He's the bringer of the light that we need. And that's because Jesus Christ, God the Son, is the one who, who, move, who doesn't move further away from us when we reject him like we might expect some, some aloof kind of deity to do. But instead, this is the God who comes to rescue us in our, in our darkness. He's the one who enters into this experience. He doesn't leave us lost and hopeless, but instead, unlike life that the world promises, this is the one who comes and brings renewed and true life for us. This is who Jesus is. He humbled himself all the way to the cross in order to purchase reconciliation for us with God. Jesus Christ, who's fully man, he comes fully God. And he is the one in all his divine glory who sets aside his splendor in order to come to us as our rescuer. Which is why the, the Dutch Christmas carol that we sing sometimes, it expresses this amazement at the birth of the child. There's this, there's this extraordinary contrast that's present at Christmas time. And so as the lyrics go, they, say, they speak of seeing the mighty, weak, and tender. See the word who is now mute. See the sovereign without splendor. See the fullness destitute. This is God entering into the experience of humanity. Or to quote a preacher of an earlier generation, he describes the Christ as coming infinite and an infant. Eternal and yet born of a woman. Almighty and yet nursing at a mother's breast. Supporting a universe and yet carried in a mother's arms. King of angels and yet the son of Joseph. Heir of all things and yet the carpenter's despised son. So who is this Jesus? Well, he's the wonderful counselor, but he's not just that. He's also mighty God. He's the one who upholds all things and has made himself low in order that through him he could bring us the light of redemption we need so badly. Which helps us ask certain questions at Christmas time. Jesus is the mighty God. So this Christmas we not only check our own hearts. Wondering who we're listening to. But we also ask ourselves the question. Who are we trusting in? Where are we placing our trust during this season? And then next Isaiah tells us that Jesus is the eternal father. The eternal father. Now we hear this. And at first that can seem to confuse categories for us. Doesn't it? As we think about the Trinity. Right? Because we understand that the one true God exists in three persons. God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And, and here we read how Jesus, God the Son, is referred to as the Eternal Father. So that strikes us as confusing at first. Jesus isn't God the Father. Jesus is God the Son. Now, but what's happening here is not a, a confusion of, of persons in the Trinity on the part of Isaiah. Instead, Isaiah the prophet is using the Father metaphor to further explain who Jesus is for us. He's giving us a picture of Jesus' exercise of grace towards us. And so when we think about this Father metaphor, what does it bring to mind? 
Well, it brings lots of things to mind for us. What, what does a good father do? Well, they, they protect us, don't they? They should provide. A father's tender, a father's patient. A father defends and comforts and disciplines and listens and instructs and nurtures and consoles, all of those kinds of things. A good father is called to do many things. And in all of that, what should a good father never do? Well, a good father should never leave. And who is this Jesus for you? Who is this Jesus for me? He's the eternal father. Right? Jesus is the one who exercises perfect provision and nurture and care. And he does so unendingly. He does so eternally. If we were reading from another translation, he does so everlastingly. Right? He never leaves. He never quits. He never fails to continually do all that's required for you to have true life. Jesus is the eternal father. Don't we oftentimes place our hope in those who leave? Uh, those who, who we think will care, those who should care, but those who ultimately don't continue in the care that they've promised to us. We've probably all had those experiences. But that's not the case with Jesus. He is the one who provides perfectly. He's the one who provides continually. And he is the eternal father. So this Christmas, again, we check ourselves. Who are we listening to? We're listening to the wonderful counselor. Who are we trusting in? We're trusting in the mighty God. And here we have the question, who are we hoping in? Who's the one we're, we're ultimately placing our hope in? Well, he's, he's like an eternal father to us. And then finally, this child born of Mary, uh, Isaiah gives us one more descriptor here. He's our prince of peace. Our prince of peace. The, the, the peace word. In Hebrew, shalom, it's a, it's a huge word in the Old Testament. Uh, to, tra to trace how it's used could, could be a long study, but let me just give you a taste of what God's shalom is like from the Bible. So in Genesis chapter 15, this peace equates to living a life fulfilling all God's purposes for you. That would be peaceful, wouldn't it? Right? In Genesis 29, shalom is abiding in well-being. Exodus 4, shalom is goodwill and harmony in relationships. Leviticus 26, it's the exact opposite of all fighting. In number six, shalom is the full realization of the favor of God. In 1 Samuel 17, shalom is freedom from worry. 2 Samuel 11, it's a healthy flourishing in all of life. These are, these are all the ways God's peace is described differently. This is, this is shalom, fulfilling God's purposes, abiding in well-being, harmony in relationships, no fighting, the fully realized favor of God, no worry in your life, and a life that is completely and totally flourishing. This is shalom, this is peace, and Isaiah comes to people living in darkness, living without a dawn, and he says to them, this total well-being, this flourishing existence, knowing the favor of God, this peace has a prince. True peace has one royal administrator, and his name is Jesus. Through Jesus, the fullness of God's reconciling and ruling purposes will be affected in the world, beginning at Christ's coming in Bethlehem and fully realized upon Jesus Christ's return in glory one day. When will we ever know true and eternal peace? Our world is at odds. Our bodies are at odds with our minds and our hearts, aren't they? Right? Our relationships face tension. Death is all around us, fear and confusion. Who's going to bring us relief? As we come to places like Isaiah's uh, prophecy, we see that it's not going to be a politician. And it's not going to be a policy. And it's not going to be a societal effort. And it's not going to be a physician. 
who's ultimately going to bring any relief. Ultimately, it's going to be the divine royal administrator of God's shalom because peace can and will and may only be found eternally in Jesus. And so one day the one who's come will come again. This is what we celebrate at Christmas time. The one who's come will return and what is he going to do for us? Well, he's going to wipe away every tear from our eye. That's shalom, right? War is going to be no more. That's shalom. He's going to bring our tired minds to rest. He's going to bring healing to our sad hearts. He's going to come and bring us flourishing and joy unending. This is the Prince of Peace. He's the royal divine administrator of God's shalom. This is Jesus. And we know it's Jesus because he's already come and brought us peace with God. He's come and gone all the way to the cross, fully man, so he could identify with us in our human need and fully God at the cross. He could bear our unbearable burden of sin. He came and he died, taking our transgressions upon himself, paying our debt and redeeming us from the curse of death, only to rise and promise a glorious return. So Jesus was our peace. He is our peace. And he's going to be our peace forevermore. And so this, this Christmas, we reflect on these things. We, uh, we consider the fact that he is our wonderful counselor. Who are you listening to this Christmas? He's mighty God. Who are you hoping in this Christmas? He's the eternal father. Where do we find uh, the, the trust and the steadfastness that we need? And ultimately, he's the prince of peace. This Christmas, we ask ourselves the question, who's going to bring you peace? Who's going to bring me peace? It's Jesus Christ who's come and who's coming again. And so in these things, we consider the glories of Christ. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, eternal father, prince of peace. Let's pray. So we ask to be renewed in these things this evening, O Lord. Uh, we ask that our hearts would be turned toward the glories of Christ and that uh, we would find ourselves in a place of rest, knowing that he's the one who's for us, that nothing can separate us from his love, that he's gone all the way to the cross, not only to prove his love, but to purchase the redemption that we need so that we can look forward to a new creation one day with all sin gone, all stains removed, all hardship, all sorrow, all weeping, forever done away with. We long for that day. And tonight we rejoice that we can know the Savior who ultimately will bring that day about. Help us trust in Him. Let us be renewed in that this evening. We ask that in Christ's name. Amen.